0: Hello there, welcome to Under the Skin with me, Russell Brand. It's Tony Robbins today and it's an incredible episode. If you've seen the trailer, you'll have seen me pinned back by the sheer force of his charisma. Tony Robbins has become a friend since this interview. He uh, initially approached me because he enjoyed my book, Recovery. And just before the podcast that you're about to listen to, I did a podcast of Tony's with Tony. And my God, you know, I think like uh, by the time I'd done the podcast with him, I felt so like he was so kind and gracious that all I do in this podcast is essentially agree with him, which I do. And I don't know that I ask a single probing question, but he is so averse and adept at communicating. He is a master communicator. There is so much to learn from this, but like I certainly learned from this podcast. And I really hope you'll enjoy it. Podcast generally, Under the Skin's going very bloody well. With the last episode with uh, Darren McGarvey, a.k.a. Loki. It's been tremendously successful, perhaps I think because of doing the podcast with Fern. I think that helped um, doing Fern Cotton's uh, Happy Place, which I'm really pleased with that interview and how it went. And in fact, that's why we're reading these tweets now, because we're actually just plagiarising that from the way she does her podcast, because we love it. Uh... Look at this uh, tweet. Darren McGarvey has retweeted it. Essential listening with the brilliant uh, Loki discussing the navigation of the growing ravines littered throughout the topic of social mobility. A straight up no bullshit introspective interview. Hmm, That's good, isn't it? Other people saying how much they loved it. Tim France loved it. Poverty Safari, Darren's book. People are talking about that as well. So uh, if you haven't listened to the Darren McGarvey podcast yet, do listen to it. Um, Hey, I'm doing uh, a show in Northampton. You've got to come see me if you haven't already seen me do this Shakespeare show I'm doing. I'm reading Shakespeare, telling the story of my life, but also telling mythic and archetypal stories. And there's a lot of audience participation. I do a scene from Hamlet with a person plucks seemingly at random. Well, they are at random. I don't even know who they'll be yet. It's a fun, mental, aspirational, clever show. If you want to come and see me in Northampton on the 4th, 5th and 6th, go to russellbrand.com. And check it out. Finally, I'm reading this on behalf of Tony regarding his course, Unleash the Power Within. Check it. Are you ready to create real lasting change in your life? Whether you're looking to make a massive breakthrough in your business, your relationship, your career, your health or anything else in your personal life, Unleash the Power Within can help you unlock and unleash the forces inside you and let you create the quality of life you desire and deserve. Learn more about UPW and how you can surpass your own limitations to achieve your goals by visiting tonyrobbins.com forward slash unleashed. Now, like anyone who's seen, heard Tony, watched that Netflix show, I'm Not Your Guru, will know this geezer ain't playing. He's got some alchemic, modern, shamanic power to alter consciousness. Also, I'm going to be a guest on an upcoming episode of Tony Robbins' podcast. You can find more information about that episode by visiting TonyRobbins.com forward slash Russell Brand. That's the one that i done just before this one. And in that one, you actually get to hear me talk because at that point, Tony is conducting things and politely, politely asking me questions with Mary, wasn't it? Yeah, it's uh, Mary who r- runs that podcast with him. So this one. There's some great stuff covered. It's bloody useful turning pain into a mental muscle, changing your physiology to change your emotional state. That's good. I've started to do a lot of stuff he suggested, you know, finding ecstasy in the moment. Sort of, again, he's good at sort of conveying spiritual wisdom in secular or colloquial terms. But he also does talk about meeting Clinton. Tom Cruise comes up, Mikhail Gorbachev. The end of demonization, how to change society. So a lot of stuff covered. I really hope you enjoy it. If you do, please, would you do me the favor of uh, subscribing, sharing it, uh, share it on uh, True Russell Brand. You know how I spell true by now, T-R-E-W, mistake, isn't it? It's complicated. Uh, Share it on your Insta stories or tweet with the uh, hashtag under the skin uh, identifying signature. So yeah, share it where you can and enjoy it. Also, and I'm so sorry to inundate you with all this, my Netflix special, Rebirth, is on, well, Netflix. I mean, it's not gonna be on Amazon Prime, is it? That's how, I mean, do you know how monopolies work? (laughs) Go on there, will you? And watch Rebirth on Netflix. I really want people to watch it early on so it does well, you know, because I'm proud of it. It's a really good show. Talk about becoming a father. Talk about my experience getting involved with politics. There's some funny, funny bits in there. There's a bit Donald Trump's in it, man. Donald Trump's in it. My campaign's around housing where I supported those brilliant women of the New Era estate. Perhaps most significantly talking about the birth of my first little girl, but childbirth more generally and the chaos that it unleashes on you. So check that out as well. Thank you for listening to this podcast and the labyrinth, the endless symphony of advertising that's preceded it. Um, I really appreciate that. And now, without further ado, get, get ready, sit down and strap in. For Tony Robbins is a coming Trying to achieve equality with the annihilation of category Is
1: not well, a successful that, route Yes, that's, that's, that's exactly right We're in this era where it turns out we were never the boss it Doesn't look like an ideology
0: What's beneath the surface of people we admire Of the ideas that define our time The history we are told and Welcome to Russell Brand Under the Skin Welcome to Under the Skin, Tony Robbins <laughs> Great
1: to be with you again
0: I'm so happy to interview you because, uh, well, firstly, I'll tell you just the first things that come to my mind. When I watched that Netflix, I Am Not Your Guru, which is amazing. Oh, thank you. I thought he's, this is what I thought. He's Superman Jesus. <laughs> That's what I thought. He's Superman No, you got Jesus. the Jesus look. I'm missing that. <laughs> You're looking good. But maybe if Jesus came back, it would. he'd have to go for a more Superman thing. I thought, like, firstly, I was astonished by, and I've uh, had the privilege of attending, uh, not for its entirety, but a part of one of your seminars. And... It's like a, a religious experience. It felt like for me, I'm a, not a person that's cynical or sceptical about religion, but it seems to me that what you're doing is, f- 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 is filling a religious role. I mean, I suppose if you look at religion as a way of coping with the fact that we're alive and we're going to die, rather than it being about sort of an anointed saviour figure, yeah. then is yeah. that, what do you think about that?
1: I I, I, um, I don't look at it as a religious experience, um, but religion in its original term, religio, means to celebrate. And I try to get people to find the way to celebrate life in the midst of the fact that we're all going to die and there are challenges that all of us face, some of which are immutable, some of which are. And how do you find and how do you create a life that's meaningful to me? It's not about just being happy. Uh, you can be happy, you can have pleasure from taking a drug, you can have pleasure from achieving something. but. If your life is going to be meaningful, it needs that sense of fulfillment, I find, comes from two factors. Are you growing and are you giving? If you're not growing, you know, you and I have dealt with so many people that have gotten everything they ever dreamed they wanted. The fame, the fortune, the dollars, the attention, all the things they want. And then they give it away. They give away things that are more valuable. uh, You know, the love of the life, uh, you know, their health, their vitality. We live in a society where we get so conditioned to think this is what life's about, and my mission is really to help people figure out what's life about for you right now, not the way you were conditioned your whole life. What do you think is most important now? What do you want your life to be about? Because until we find something that our life's about bigger than ourselves, corny as it may sound, life is a bitch, you know? It's like it's it's a bitch if all you're gonna do is fight through and do what everybody does and make a living. But if you have something that you're trying to serve larger than yourself, whether it's your child or your husband or your wife or your community or some mission that you find to be valuable for you, when that happens, there's a level of energy in people that changes your life. I believe it starts with energy. It doesn't start with ideas. Ideas are a dime a dozen. It's like a business. You know, Oh, I got a great idea. Everybody's got a great idea. Can you execute? Can you get yourself to follow through? Can you find a way to do more for others than anybody else in your category? That's the only way that you're gonna expand in business. I look at business as a spiritual game. It's all about how do I do more for others? How do I give more? And the the value I get from that is you become more in order to do that. It's like no goal ever makes us happy long term. It's not about let me just go achieve what I want. How many people you know? You've done it, I've done it. Achieve what you want and then your brain goes, is this all there is? But the experience of feeling like I'm made for this you know, I'm, I'm, I'm finding what I'm made for even. I'm not even there yet. I'm, I'm making progress. I'm not just settling. I'm willing to do something more than settle for whatever life has given me thus far. That it's my job and my responsibility to find a way to find meaning. My skill is to get people in a state where that starts to happen naturally. Because intellectually, you can answer all those questions, but you probably won't follow through on them. But if I can find that intensity in you, that passion in you, that love in you, that hunger in you, that drive in you that's already there, and I can help you to reignite it. Not motivate you, I've never been a motivator. I don't believe in motivation. I don't believe you should you know, you know, just go to your garden and chant, there's no weeds, there's no weeds, right? There's weeds there. I believe see things as they are and deal with them, rip them out, but have something larger that you're going after or your life will feel mundane. And when it's mundane, you're gonna to turn to drugs or alcohol or food or some distraction from the fact that life isn't meaningful. So to me, if that's religion, I don't know if that's religion. To me, I personally believe it's just about living life as it's meant to be. It's not meant to be squandered, it's meant to be, I I want the end to have me squeezing out the last bit of juice whenever that happens, where that life feels like it's meaningful. And to me that is, I've learned, I've grown, I've laughed, I've loved, and I've contributed in meaningful ways to people I don't even know, and especially the people that I do and have the privilege to know and to love and to be a part of their lives.
0: Fucking hell.
1: You're amazing. <laughs>
0: um, when I was in the car, like when I was in the car, I was thinking, am I actually gonna like try and interview Tony Robbins? I might just tell him like my actual problems <laughs> and like, <I>, help <laughs> yeah, me this. I'm really worried about this. How should I deal with it? So I thought like an interview. Who gives a fuck? <laughs> like, rather have it as just, just to like take the advice. You know, like because my first experience with you, and this is weird, because like I've told you already, but for people listening, is like when I was a kid. My dad, like I didn't grow up with him. I see him at weekends. I love my dad. I adore him. I've got a relationship with him to this day, Ronnie Brand. Now, like he was one of them people that was, who like, was very sort of a, an interesting archetype in this country in the 80s. People that come from working class backgrounds that were like, no, you can make it. You can make it, right? Yeah. It was very much about the pursuit of individual success, actually. Yes. Now, I used to listen to Jim Rohn, who I think is an early mentor, yes, of mine He was course, one of first mentors. And, and like your tapes. And I, so I was a little kid. And I used to like these, like a lot of time, my is working all the time, even at the weekends. He's going places. Is like one minute it's water filters for NSA another time he's selling pictures (laughs) at zoos double glazing market stall all these different things and like you know the Tony Robbins tapes are in the car now this is before you've become like someone that's been in shallow howl and like you know sort of become like a person that's recognized on the cultural landscape it was very much about personal motivation. And I remember thinking like it was going in me, you know, when I was a little kid, yeah. I was thinking there's stuff to this. But am I right in saying that in the initial incarnation, the focus was much more about business and commercial success. At the beginning of your journey, was it yeah. was spirituality such an evident and explicit part of it, or was it more about this is how to maximize your success as a, basically as a financial entity?
1: Yeah, no, I think that's a misperception and it's my own fault because I think Uh, I grew up, I became known in the 1980s. And in the 1980s, that was the mentality of people. And so I've always been uh, what I would consider to be kind of like a Trojan horse. You know, I give people what they want so that I have the right to deliver what they need. And so they wanna lose weight, they wanna make money, they wanna take their business to the next level. And to this day, I still deliver that. But once I've delivered that, now I can see if I can go after your soul a little bit. Not a soul for me, but soul for you, meaning wake up to what you really need and want. What you're really looking for is love, what you're really looking for is that your life is meaningful. What you're really looking for is significance, not that's demanded or positioned, but significance that you can only give yourself because you've lived your life and you've pushed through difficult times and you've done things that you're proud of. Not proud like ego-proud, like edging God out, proud like, fuck, I did this. This fucking was difficult. This is impossible and this is meaningful. I think that that to me has always been where it is. uh, you know, I also entered a culture where in America, you know, I entered the culture where the culture was and where I was. And has my level of spirituality continued to deepen and grow? Of course. But when I was a little boy, I was obsessed with lighting people up. And it, and it didn't come because I was such a good person. Um, it came because I went through so much pain myself. I don't know that I'd be the man I am if I hadn't suffered so much that I don't want any human to suffer. And it became an obsession to find the answers to cure that suffering. But I noticed in the beginning, you can't just go love somebody, they kind of freak out. You know, it's like, so you have to be warm and you have to be successful. You have to to do the things that will open them to you. And then I learned I don't need any of that shit. I could just pierce people with the truth. (laughs) And and so, you know, it's like. (laughs) (laughs) If you've lived it, you know, if you haven't lived it, it's just a concept, but if you've lived it, You can move people because they can feel it, and also because I will go to any length to help that I'm humanly capable of. And when people are with me for four days and nights, and it's 50 hours, and there are 12 or 14 hours in there, and they can leave anytime they want to get their money back, and they see me sweating my guts out, and I'm delivering, you know, you can start out, I remember one guy who's a good friend of mine now, when he first went to my events like 20 years ago, he said, I saw you up there and I was sitting back judgmental, like who the hell is this guy think <laughs> he is? He you knew gonna tell me what to do, and I, that was never what I was about, but that was his head, right? He was projecting, and I was a symbol for everything that he was annoyed by, and yet he was still pulled to it. And then he said, I saw you, and in those days, you know, it was the 1980s, It wore a suit and tie, nobody was casual in those days, there was no casual Friday, we don't even have casual Fridays, everything's casual now, right? So I wore a suit and tie and a vest, and I'm on stage just sweating. And he said, Tony, right, I wasn't wearing a that day. He said, because I saw your tie. And he said, "At first, all, I'm like, this guy's full of shit. I'm not going to do this stuff. And he said, you were doing this. And you were stepping in. And you were delivering. And moment, every moment was passionate. And he said, I was watching the tie. And it got sweatier and sweatier. So he said, when it got to the bottom, he said, I could jump a few times. I could do this shit. This <laughs> son of a bitch could do it. So I lead by example. Not that I'm fucking perfect or that I have all the answers. I lead by example that I lead with love. And I lead desire to serve. And some people think that's bullshit because... Look, in our culture, so many people say things. But fortunately, I've been doing this 41 fucking years, and in 41 years, you don't have to watch how my lips move. You don't have to watch how my feet have moved for four decades, and you know who Tony Robbins is. And so, at this point, I've been able to have the privilege of working with so many people, average person struggling with anything, their relationship, their body, their, their emotions, their, you know, drugs, whatever, and people that are supposedly the most successful in the world who are still human and they have some of the same challenges. You know, I've dealt with kids in the South Bronx or East London addicted to cocaine. I've dealt, dealt with the top CEOs in Hollywood addicted to cocaine, you know, <laughs> and they all have different reasons why. But what we, have, what I found is underneath it all, it's the search for meaning. Till we find a way to make our life meaningful we find for substitutes and substitutes will never fill us up and they make us keep looking and make us feel empty inside.
0: This pain when you was a boy, uh, I've seen that documentary and I know a little about you just from what I've read, I don't know anything, but like uh, your mum was an alcoholic, that's right, isn't it? Yeah, addicted to prescription
1: drugs. She's a good human being, I love her to this day, but her personality was altered, as everyone's is, when you get enough drugs in your body. Um, and she became very, very violent. And I have a younger brother, five years younger, and a younger sister, seven years younger. Sister's almost like my my daughter, honestly. I kind of raised her, and my brother to some extent. And so I had to protect them, so I had a larger thing than just protecting myself. And I love my mom, so she's bashing my head against the wall. And by the way, I never spoke about it. this when she was alive. I didn't even speak about it after she died. I was sharing with you earlier that I was in New York City with this group of kids that are all abused. And I was trying to explain to them, your biography is not your destiny. The past does not equal the future unless you live there. If you drive in the future using a rearview mirror, yes, you're going to crash. And I'm, I'm just so passionate. I want to help these kids. And I could look in their eyes and I could just read their minds like, tall, six foot seven, white guy, now at this stage wealthy. I was dirt poor, but money, rich, white, all the generalizations, privilege, and all the bullshit that society makes so they won't have to deal with this, if you as an individual, as a soul. Mm-hmm. And so I looked and thought, how do I reach them? And I just said... Let me tell you my story. And I told them everything. I never told anyone. And they were bawling their eyes out, but I also saw a light in their eyes. It's like, I was like, holy shit, there's value in sharing this. I don't want to dwell here, but I share it. So I've shared it a few times. I don't live there. Um, I'm not a, a victim. I, I look at what my mom was like, and I realize she made me a practical psychologist. If she had not been crazy, I mean, I wouldn't be who I am today. I had to figure out how to predict her behavior and protect you know, my brother and sister. And it made me have to get really smart. I also just love people. And so, no, I wasn't the popular kid in school. I was I was student body president, but not popular. I ran literally like a real campaign. I went and talked to people, figure out what they really wanted. I told the truth, this can't be done, but I think this can. I beat the most popular girl in school and no one ever, nothing like that. It made me believe it was possible. I just had this Love for people that made me driven to, to break up anything that, and to this day, anything that'll make them suffer. I want to light people up wherever I can. I want to end suffering wherever I can. I can't do it every moment for every person. I don't, I'm don't. i not God. But I can make a measurable difference. And so I'm constantly adding to those skills. And I've done it for four and a half, four decades in a year. We're not four and a half. I'm getting ahead of myself. And as a result of that, you know, you could be an idiot at this point. I could be an idiot. And I have to see there's patterns Patterns that make people angry, crazy, pissed off, frustrated, lonely, you know, alone, victimhood. And patterns that make you passionate, strong, committed, gregarious, playful, fun, generous, and humble in some cases, or at least connected and grateful. And so I could be an idiot not to see that because I've dealt with so many people, tens of, you know, 50 million people in live events over a period of 41 years. Be a dumbass not to see it. And so once I started to recognize these patterns, I could really help. Because when people are trying to change themselves, you're not going to change yourself. It's too hard. Your identity runs in the way. But you can transform your patterns. My pattern's easy to change. And so I started to see this. So I get the phone call when the athlete's burning down on national television, Serena Williams, and I got something right now, right effing now. And so I learned to play with no net. And because when you play with no net, you gotta deliver. And so I did. I was able to turn around. Everybody saw it and I got recognized for that. And then all of a sudden, there was a dopamine hit out of that too. It's like, I'm giving and I'm making this difference and I'm breaking through. And so my brain learned more rapidly to find ways to help. I, you know, I, 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 knock on wood, I've never lost one suicide Out of thousands, (laughs) and it doesn't mean I won't someday, you'll be clear, but thousands. We've made films of them. We follow up years later because no one can believe that it happens. You saw the film where I made them wait. I said, the only control of this film is you can't make this film and publish it. You're in control of the whole film unless you wait a year to show how they are a year later. Because people don't think when someone changes fast that it can last. So out of all these distinctions and insights and so forth, I think what happened for me is I not only developed the drive, but I got the reward system that made me get better and better and be willing to play with no net. And when you play with no net and you have to succeed, it's like I say, if you want to take the island, burn the boats. If there's a way out, the human mind will give you the way out. And so I I put myself in a box where I had to go forward to serve, and my drive, to light people up and not have them suffer because I know what that feels like would make me get to a state where I could find the answer or I could find someone who had the answer. Because most of it is learning from other people. I was learning from someone who already was successful in what they're doing. So I think it's the combination of those, the chemistry of all that together. And then, you know, working with someone like, you know, I got phone call, true story from the president of the United States one day, 131, says, President Clinton, Tony, they're gonna impeach me in the morning. What should I do?
0: Whoa. And, and my first response that be is cool.
1: Could you call me fucking sooner? (laughs) It's tomorrow morning. I'm 31 years old. You want me to? But I had to figure out what to do, how to help him, what to do. And so by by constantly putting myself on the line, I grew. And as I grew, I had more capacity to help myself, to help my family, to help my friends, to help my coworkers, my businesses, and most importantly, service people. What's that? What'd you tell him? Um, I I told him. He asked me, "What should I do?" I don't talk about what I say with people unless they've shared it. He has shared this part. I can't share all of it, but I can share the most important thing. I said. So Mr. President, I said, you're asking the wrong question. What should I do? Has to, you need a question before that. What do I want? What do I want to be? What do I want to give? What do I want to create? What, do I, what, what is this about? Because what to do will be answered by that. If I just want to get out of this, you can do nothing. Because I said, you're a lawyer. You have the legal background. I said, you know what you can do. You know you're not getting impeached by the Senate. I said, easy for me to say, my ass is not on the line. But you know it. So you can just do nothing and hang in there, and you won't get impeached, probably. And you probably already know that. I said, the question is, do you want mothers and fathers to be able to tell their children, look at the president as an example of what a human being is capable of? I said, and I walked him through all the other options. And he said to me, I will, I will call you back in 30 minutes. And I thought, holy shit, I've influenced the president of the United States. in 31. This is going to be so incredible. I'm him to do the right thing. And then his secretary called back about 30 minutes later and said, the president said he wants you to know he's still going to call you back. And then two hours later, she called back and says, he's in with the other Democrats. And the next thing I know, he was out there, you know, going about the normal business. So I didn't really transform him. But we became friends, and we'd been friends before that, and it deepened my relationship. But when I'm sitting with the President of the United States at 31 at Camp David at Christmas, and he's telling me about that stage about all the challenges, and I'm hearing them just like it's another client, and I'm thinking, this guy's the President of the United States, and he's like He's got these internal challenges. I mean, he's just like anybody else. What
0: well, does that it kind make of
1: you think? Fre- made me freak out a little bit inside my head, going, This he's the most powerful man in the world? He's just a guy he's a guy like you and I. And he's and somehow, even though you know that intellectually, it was so direct. We were walking, it was snowing, and and this deer went by. I'll never forget it was a surreal moment. And the president of the United States asked me for coaching and everything else. And then part of the best moment of that time was he asked me to stay, and it was I was at a friend's house, and he called me. It was Christmas time. It was not for Christmas, or two days for Christmas. And he said, would, "You know, I've had several people recommend I talk with you, and I'm going through this challenge right now. And would you be willing to come work with me?" And I was a friend of mine named Peter Guber. You may know of. He's a very big man. In the, you know, he's been in the. He's got, what 52 Academy Award nominations. Producer and owns his own studio, Mandalay, and so forth. It was his house in Aspen. He was a presence on the phone for you. So that was a conversation. And Peter's listening. And at one point, I said, "President, I said I would love to serve you. It would be a privilege. But I want you to know I'm not a fan." And I said, so if you want someone to just tell you what you want to hear, I'm the wrong guy. I don't know that I've got the right answers, but I'm not going to just tell you what you want to hear. And Peter's like going apoplectic, like, oh, you told the president of the United States you're not a fan. What's happening? So I got on the plane and I went, and he he was great. He said, I'm not looking for someone to tell me just what I want to hear. And so we had this great conversation and I became his fan because he was so sincere. To this day, President Clinton, when nobody thinks about him. You know, in politics, people hate and love people. They project all their stuff on him, But he sincerely cares about people at a level that most humans don't. And I connected with him about that. And then he asked me to stay the night. And I said, no, I promised my wife and my family I'd come home. It's going to be Christmas. I can't do it. sensible an move. And it made it built something in me, not just him. It was one of those moments where it's like, I'm getting on the plane and leaving. The president asked me to stay. I'm like, I got my priorities straight. And But it also made our bond stronger because he saw that... I was somebody that had principle of what I knew my life was about, and I was willing to do anything, but I'm not going to do it at the expense of those I love. And so there were moments like that in my life where you own yourself at a different level, and that's not so much owning like an ego, owning more like... I have the ability to make a difference.
0: You've got a in, lot of like uh, energy it. and power, Tony. It's fucking intense, man. Like, you're incredible. You're incredible. <laughs> Cause I'm aware, obviously, because like, we've just done You uh, have the your same podcast. thing,
1: bro. That's why I just got done interviewing you.
0: Yeah, but like, uh, what I feel like, uh, I mean, there are many, many differences. Because your, your person, I would like to just directly write down shit you're saying. And there's like, directly, like, things like, hold oh, on a minute, what am I going to do specifically about this? You yes. know what I mean? It's yes. like, like, that's not, like, I don't, like a lot of these interviews, they're amazing academics that I talk to and uh, you yes. know, brilliant and interesting people. Yes. But, there's not many people I think, right? Give me your fucking phone number, and I'll go, right, Tony, this shit's going down. <laughs> what should I do? What should I do? Like, I like, but what I like, I think is, Like, you know, we talked a little more and I had the pleasure of meeting Sage, your wife, who's like much more, like, I don't know, you cut this out if you don't like it, but she's more like overtly, clearly about spirituality, by which I mean beads and sticks. and I go in the room and there's mantras playing, and I have (laughs) fucking, like, special potions and that, all, no pharmaceutical stuff, and like, uh, like stuff gets done on my head, like a proper massage. It was like, I mean, like, remember this, I've just fucking arrived in a room, I like, can arrive there, and, like they go. Oh, Tony's busy going, going in the hotel room with his wife, I'm like. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, is that kind of gig, is it? <laughs> oh, I get ya. Right. So I go in there, and like an obviously sage, a very beautiful person, but sort of like calm and spiritually on one. And I, I'm p- part of that world of mantras and all that stuff, so it's not going to freak me out. Yeah. But like, but like sitting on the sofa, and before I know it, like uh, this is just for you listeners to enjoy. I go like sort of getting uh, like mantras and a prayer and a beautifully sung mantra and a blessing, which yes. I'm like, I'm down with because i'm coming prior to that from being in the normal world irritated about the journey here coming on canary wharf and what canary wharf represents to me like a sort of citadel of sort of finance and dominance of what was you know like what's called progress but sometimes seems like the subjugation of ordinary people and their territories and lands and and um and you know, suddenly I'm immersed in this sort of beautiful spiritual experience with a, yes. a powerful woman, and it's sort of and obviously I'm getting an opportunity to meet the other aspect of you. You're in communion. You're in a marriage. You've given up your individual identity to that marriage. Yes. I'm married myself. I know what marriage means when it's working. Yes. And like so. So what I've, and then, just to add, because this is a good ending to the fucking story, like the last bit that happens is like I'm sort of spun out, because like it was a, like not spun out in a bad way, in a good way, I'm like tripping from the head yeah. massage, and well, not massage, massage is an excessive, but it was like Energy. a blessing just yeah. touched my And then like uh, I'm sort of sitting staring at the River Thames, thinking of the beauty of the Thames and its significance, and the light does, I must say, seem more alive than prior yeah. to the blessing. I feel like connected, and then like I hear the door open, and like I'm mean, That's gonna be Tony Robbins. And then, like, uh, the next referee is a hands on my head bigger hands, <laughs> substantially larger hands bearing down on me, and I thought, this is Tony Robbins, and I'm like properly in a sort of spiritually connected space, and then like eventually I thought, you know, stay chill, don't freak out, and I look over my shoulder, it's Tony Robbins is in the room, and it was very nice actually that the moment I get to meet you is a moment on that level, on the level of sort of soul. spirituality, because you, yeah, on the level of the soul, the level of the essence, because you've sort of got such a lot of uh, potent broadcast power that I've, you know, because, it's obviously you're used to doing it for 10 fucking thousand people so you're used to operating at a level where you've got to hit the back of
1: the room and all that kind of stuff for, f- for 50 hours or 12 hours in a day so, so that- yeah everything in me is magnified because i want to have that impact and if i'm going to keep that person involved who wants it for a three-hour movie that someone spent 300 million dollars on and i'm gonna hold them for 12 hours and i'm gonna have an impact and i have to be able to reach them emotionally not just mentally and that, that starts, starts, with, energy. That's starts with energy it
0: does start with energy and energy people don't point out enough is a synonym for power so when people say you've got a lot of energy they're saying you've got a lot of power and this, so the thing that interests me perhaps most in the world is power who gets power who gets to decide who gets what who's powerful yes. what's determined as the normal natural neutral order well what I sort of feel like when I meet you is is like sometimes you're so extraordinary and monolithic and square jawed <laughs> and handsome and potent they it's saying like well, how, what's this guy like when he's like I feel a bit fucking depressed actually. Like, like you know, you say we're similar and that's a, a very flattering comparison. But like, you know, I think it's pretty evident with me that I'm like, you know, oh no, fucking hell, what am I gonna do if that happens? Like that's I think is visible. Is that something, are you very, is it privacy? Do you not feel like a very a great obligation to always seem certain? Cause sometimes I think I'd like to be a person that's seen as a mentor. I'd like to be a person that's seen as a leader. But, I, but you know what I think is like, I think like I'd be up there, you know, sort of pre- preaching from the stage and like something in me would go, fucking hell, you know, like, like because of the, like, I don't know, Jesus, like, I would, I would struggle to hold that shit together, you know, like, like, because so much of what I do is about sort of vulnerability, weakness, flaws, and the sort of, and I know you say stuff like, you know, I'm no better than anybody else and all that, but look at you, you're a fucking giant, you know, like, it's sort of like, it's, you know, how do you deal on that level of vulnerability, or is it a very deliberate choice that you make not to show that to people?
1: No, if you, if you go to my events or you talk to me, you have been there. Uh, the reason people are vulnerable to me is I'm vulnerable first. I think as leadership is to go first. So I share all of the challenges, flaws. I don't have all, but you know, plenty of them, more than enough, so that people don't have this delusion. You know, First of all, I was one in high school. I'm now 6'7. I grew 10 inches in a year. I tell people the difference is personal growth, of course. right? <laughs> but I really did. I grew 10 inches a year. It was extremely painful. So I wasn't always this giant guy. I had a giant heart, I think, and it doesn't sound very humble, but I love people, I've always have, and I think that was my power. When you talk about power and energy, I think love is the ultimate power. Again, it's corny as shit to say, but it's really the truth. I believe that I can pierce people because I love them. I, 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 when I have failed, and I've failed plenty of times, it's because I've judged someone. And I rarely do it now, but I still do it every now and then. What's and your failures? Myself.
0: Tell me about some of your failures. Not to be really well, well, British I, and I, pessimistic. Tell me about
1: what's gone wrong. So I always believe I'm able to help people who have been through... Crazies that have done crazy shit because I know we're all human. I know people are not their behaviors. Whatever people do, they did it probably because they're in pain. It's not an excuse, but they believe their own thoughts. They believe this is the only way to get out of my pain. This is the only way Is to hurt somebody else. This is the only... And so while I don't condone it, I can't help somebody if I'm judging them. And so I, I, I try to make sure that I always come back to the deeper place of knowing how intense somebody is. There's pain underneath it all. But my approach to it was... If I hate my mother, there's nothing left because <laughs> she was really the only source of love I had besides my brother and sister. If I hate my mother, what am I going to become? And do I hate my mother or do I hate the behavior? Uh. And so I'm sure you have. I know I have behaved in ways that I'm not proud of at times, but that's not my soul. It's not my and it's not how I behave consistently. So what I've learned to do is go, hey, don't throw the rock. You know, like if you're living in the glass house, we all live in a glass house at some level. But more importantly. The way I'm going to reach somebody is by a different level of understanding compassion than they're used to at a level that they don't even think somebody's capable of. And my goal is to keep getting that deeper. And over 41 years, I've done a pretty good job of deepening it, but I'm still human. And just like we talked about in my podcast with you, you're talking about different personalities take over when you hit a stimulus. You know, like Mm -hmm. you're driving the car and somebody screams at you and scream back and you go, what the fuck am I doing? That's not me. Hey, I'm sorry. (laughs) Right? So I make mistakes all the effing time. I, someone says, you're an idiot. I can buy places as an idiot. Somebody says, you know, you're too intense. I can buy places as too intense. That's easy. Uh, you're too quiet. That might be harder for me to find, but I can find it too. Yeah, it's Do you
0: ever get in conflict? Do you ever get in like... Sort of almost physical conflicts. I tell you why I asked. There's two mo- the two two moments that, that stay with me free. three. There's a lot of moments that really affected me that documentary. I've got loads of questions. You talk your answers along. You're like me. You give long answers. So it's like <laughs> part of, which is a control technique when I do it. So I'm assuming it's the same when you do it. Like, I'm, like, I'm, like, well, like, but like just passion. <laughs> you're beautiful. I got no uh, <laughs> I questions about you. I understand. So like, uh, but my these are some things that I really liked in that documentary. Uh, but i'm curious about
1: one very superficial what's the trampoline <laughs> um i i push myself like crazy and i lymphatize and so your your body your heart your blood moves by your heart but your lymph system only moves basically by breath or movement and so when i'm going at that intensity 12 14 hours a day it's just my way of balancing my body out getting everything back in place because as you move like that without gravity hitting you build up atp which is the source of energy so if i run every time my my heel strikes i use up atp if i do it in a rebounder it actually builds it up it's physiological Ooh. and so i have more energy available and it just loosens my body up because i'm gonna go out there for 12 hours and i gotta hold that room and and not just help someone, but I got to help someone to keep everybody else involved. I have to be able to not only help somebody, which isn't easy and just not always comfortable. You know, as well as I do, the change can be really hard when we're stuck in a pattern. So I got to use any technique I can other yeah, than yeah, hurt them. I'll yeah, never yeah. hurt somebody. Yeah. But when I meet somebody and they're stuck or they have a pain or a problem or a challenge, I know that there is an answer and I may not know what it is, but I know there is an answer. And so what I got to do is put myself in a state where we can find that answer. Because in the state of I don't know, I'm not going to find it, right? i got to get myself in that state of certainty where guidance can come through me. All right. And I've done it so much for 41 years that I'm privileged at this point that when somebody stands up, I can tell you honestly, it's done. I don't know how it's done, but now it's done. And now grace comes through, corny as it may sound, and I see what happens. And afterwards, there's a part of that documentary that actually I'm I'm glad is there, that I didn't want there, but you know I wasn't the producer and I gave all the rights to it. It's the only way to be fair with it. The producer, after I worked with a young woman, you may remember who was yeah, there was abused, the yeah. chronic abuse woman. But she was not a like chronic America. abuse; she was in a cult where they abused her. Where, yeah, as children, they we were forced to have sex. It was horrible.
0: Yeah, so that blew you away. That that was a really you were really sort of moved by that. And I was sort of when I saw we, the, the bit where you see you in the room and you've like got a little bit of downtime. It looked like that really blew you away. And that's what I, I was of crying. Was I was p- crying. P-
1: so people don't see that in me. Because yeah. If I'm crying and they're helping her, which I did too a bit, but if I I won't be able to help her, so I. It comes through me and then afterwards I let go and I feel the grace of that. And to me that's often tears when it's Uh, so beautiful, uh. when someone's life has been touched. And then I figure out what I did so I can do it again or teach someone else to do
0: it. So are you going to sage with that energy when you're like... like Sort of feeling like, fuck it, no, that was a bit heavy. Like, don't, aren't you feeling so like, because yes, I course. like what I do for a living is not as intense. For a start, I'm a comedian and an entertainer, so I'm up there for an hour and a half, two hours, and like, I, all I've got to do is make them laugh, and I fucking love doing it. But afterwards, yeah. like, I come home and I sort of crawl into bed and just, like, you know, I'd want to be told, there, there, you're all right, you're a good boy, it's all cool. That's what I need to be told. Like, you know, like, sort of, is that like, if you got access to that level of vulnerability in yourself or like is because yeah. it seems to me this is my like me like i mean what do i know i've only seen a documentary and had a bit of a chat but it seems to me that you were very very traumatic children and were not nourished in the way that you should be so you had to turn yourself into your own nutritional source yes and now you're trying to solve all of the world's problems well not one individual at a time i've been <laughs> in rooms where there's ten thousand of them <laughs> but, but like uh That's a lot of intensity because sort of actually, even though, you know, prior in the earlier chat, you told me like that they put all that athletic monitoring equipment on you and said that you burned 11,000 calories in nine hours and your heart's doing this and your heart's doing that. Like, you know, I I believe that in the ability of consciousness and will to alter anatomy and to alter material to a degree, but the simple fact is that ultimately that you're Um, a man where are you going with that vulnerability what are you doing
1: have you got like a mentor someone that you can call I have have many I've what's really beautiful in my life uh, the grace of my life is I've been called to help others and they look at me as their coach but I'd be an idiot the kind of people I have the privilege of coaching to think I'm just coaching them I go there just like I did with you, I I wanted to interview, I reached out to you and fortunately you wanted to chat with me too which I was grateful for but I wanted to reach you because I feel you have a very special voice when it comes to recovery that I have not seen anywhere else. You have a, a passion and a truth and a vulnerability and I have a lot of that but I'm only one person so I'm good at finding brilliant people and helping to pull out so other people can see, at least the people that I have an audience for. you know. 20 million people on social media and they talk to people. So hopefully it reaches even more. So I'm always on the hunt for human excellence. I'm on the hunt for someone who's real. My vulnerability is absolutely there, but I've trained myself like an athlete. Like the most common question I've been asked by the media my entire life that always makes me laugh is, well, don't you have bad days? Don't you have days when you're like frustrated and anxiety and pissed off and you watch TV and you eat Cheetos and watch pornography? And I said, Well, I do some of those things. Right? <laughs> you know? And of course, I do. But what I, it's like an athlete, I built muscle over the years so that it's not that I don't have feelings and I don't get hurt or I don't feel sad or I don't feel tired, I feel all those things. But they're not the dominant force in my life, it's a muscle. The mind is a muscle, emotion is a muscle. I mean, I think the most powerful muscles are the invisible force muscles. It's your spiritual, emotional muscles. Like, courage unused doesn't grow, it shrinks. So I put my ass on the line regularly so that it grows and when it keeps growing, then pretty soon the stuff that used to make me crazy, it doesn't touch me. It's not that I'm so great. Just I'm well trained. I train this <laughs> mind. I get up every morning in my life, you talk about rebounder, more crazy shit I do is every morning in my life if I'm near if I'm near any of my homes and some places I have I have cryotherapy, but my homes I have these cold plunges. And they're 56 degrees. And the first thing I do is jump in that cold punch. So there's not a fucking morning where I want to jump in that. I can't remember morning. Like, ah, I can't wait to jump in that thing. But I don't negotiate with myself. I do it for two reasons. One, there's a physical health component. It moves your lymph system. Every, the blood flushes through your whole body. But the main reason I do it, even more than that, is when I go up there, I don't how you know, people negotiate. Well, maybe we'll do it tomorrow. I'm going to do this. Or oh, let me wait two more minutes till I'm ready. There's none of that shit with me. For decades, I go, I say, we do. I'm not here to discuss this shit with my mind. There's mind, and then there's soul and spirit. And soul and spirit, my soul fucking knows. And when I say jump, you fucking jump. I'm not here to have a discussion with you. Now, does that happen with my water every day? Yes, because I've conditioned it. Does it happen every in my life? No. And when I find it's not working, and I step back up and condition it. And unless I'm willing to take 100% responsibility for what I feel and what I experience, then I'm always going to be a victim to someone because there's always going to be somebody upset in the world we live in today about something you said or did or didn't say or didn't do or go. There is no victory in the world where everyone has a voice and not everybody's voice is necessarily designed to make somebody feel loved, it's designed to meet whatever their needs are in that moment. They might want certainty and you're being a certain way makes them uncertain. Or they think you're significant. You may think they're totally significant, but they don't, so they're mad. So I can't live my life that way. So I live my life where I keep learning, I keep growing, I keep loving, I keep laughing, and I'm trying to leave a decent legacy of a meaningful life by constantly looking for ways I can be helpful. And my prayer, a simple prayer before I walk out on every stage is use me. Use me, Lord. And and when you do that, it's like if you get out of the way, my greatest gift is getting out of the way. I know that sounds silly to some people, but it's really true. I'm not an ultra-religious person, but I'm extremely spiritual and I believe the force of life comes through me, it comes through you, it comes through all of us. And the only thing that gets in the way is all the beliefs we have of how it's supposed to be, all the expectations we have, and I have them too. But I I keep weeding them out. So I'm not, I don't want to give you the impression that I'm uh I don't have challenges of any of that nature, but I have a hell of a lot fewer. It takes a lot more. When something happens like this happens, I go, oh, we're the opponent. Because in every story of a person's life, they have what they want and desire, and then they have these needs that they're unaware of, you know, character things that need to be developed. And how do those get developed? Well, if what you wanted, you just took action, it happened, you, A, you'd be bored, B, you'd never develop spiritually or your character. And so what happens is opponents show up. And the opponent can be you with yourself. The opponent can be somebody close to you that feels like the opponent it could be an external force. But if you do battle with this, eventually you battle with yourself. Because if you can solve it within yourself, you can, regardless of what happens in the outside world, you can have that sense that your life is meaningful. And so I've done battle for 58 years and I'm gonna keep doing battle for the rest of my life, but I'm, I'm doing better because I've done battle so often. It's like, why is LeBron James who he is? It's not because he's lucky. You know, I say, you know, he's lucky. Shit, he may have certain physical backgrounds. Or Michael Jordan, I remember I interviewed him years ago. And I said, what makes you the best in the world? Is it skill? Is it talent? Is it ability? Is it background? Is it training? And he was so awesome. He said, Tony, I can tell you the truth and it won't sound like hyperbole or false modesty. He said, I didn't even make the high school basketball team my sophomore year. I was cut. He said, what it is, is every day I demand more from myself than anybody else could possibly expect. I don't compete with other people. I compete with what I'm capable of. And it's just like, that kind of standard is inspiring.
0: At least it reminds me, like, I had this conversation with Tom Cruise, right? It was like so that- another American, sort of great square jawed superstar. And like he was sort of saying about how he made his success himself. But I goes, no, but you were born with the Tom Cruise shit. Like you had that, even the will, that, like the will, you know, there's not the, you where, might does, have,
1: where do you think will comes from? <sighs> where did your will come from? I don't know. Where do you think it comes from? I think that would be better. There's something you have to push against or you don't develop it. How do you build a muscle? You don't build muscle because you were born with it. We're all born with muscle, but if it's developed, you trained it. And that means you had to find something that you valued more than your pain. You had to get beyond your pain or you had to use your pain and say, I'm going to use it to become more. That's what my life's been about. And now it's no longer driven by pain. It's driven by the joy of seeing people lit up. But I'm still human. I still feel my pains. And when I find them, I go, OK. What am I believing right now to produce this pain? Because about two years ago, I had a really beautiful experience. Uh, I've had a beautiful life. If you would have, well, I'll tell you. I go to India about every 18 months or so. And I have a, a couple friends there, one of which is very famous in the country. He's uh, he's considered an avatar in that country. His name was Bhagwan. And to give you an idea how popular he is, he, Opened a temple, a place called Oneness University. It's not for any religion. He doesn't teach religion. He just teaches you how to get your brain to function in a way where you are more connected to people. Oneness, is, he calls it Oneness University. And I went there and, and they opened this thing up, people of all religions. I met the, the Pope's secretary, Don Massimo, in those days. Um, he was there. I met the head of the Wahhabi sect of Islam, which, you know, the ones that most of the hijackers came from. And I has 167 universities. And I said, What are you doing here? And he said, well, I've prayed to Allah my whole life. I've made every religion wrong. I've made other sects of Islam wrong. But he said, here, I experienced Allah for the first time. And it's a really cool thing. It's just energetic. But this man, he opens this new temple, and they thought maybe they'd get 150,000 people over four days, and 1.2 million showed up the first morning. This is how popular it is. So he and I become good friends. And I've learned a lot from him and and had the privilege of Pitching and catching, like us here back and forth and learning from each other. And then I kind of fell in love with his son. He's just a beautiful soul. And he's a young guy and he's driven and he's spiritual. He's got a great combination of he's in the world and he's in his heart, you know, and very, that's rare to my, my experience of seeing people. And so we became great friends. And so he came to my seminars and I tried to help him out. He helped me out. And then a couple of years ago, maybe almost two and a half years ago, I go to see him and he says, Tony, I just want to thank you again. You know that stuff you taught about how to change my mental, emotional state, like in an instant? He goes, I've been practicing it for two years now. And he goes, it's changed my life so much. He says, so I want to give you a gift back. I says, okay. He goes, you know, you talk about if you want an extraordinary life, it doesn't come by manufacture. you got to be in an extraordinary state. If you're in a peak state of mind and you train yourself to do that, you're going to perform at a better level. You're going to connect at a different level. You're going to enjoy life at a different level. If you're low energy... you're in a lousy state, low energy state, then nothing works. The mind doesn't work properly. Everything's wrong. Everything's, you know, uh, there's something wrong with anything. So he goes, I get all that. It works for me. But he said, you know, you talk about just a word or two can change how we feel. Like I always tell people, if I say you're mistaken, how do you feel versus I say you're wrong versus I say you're lying. Oh. Yeah, one word can change your whole biochemistry, right? And we use words all the time in media and so forth that are not what somebody said. It changes the meaning, and we use it with ourselves sometimes. So he said, What if instead of peak state, or what if our high energy state, or energy rich states, what if we called those beautiful states? Well, that works. I mean, a beautiful state is what? Any high energy state. So it's not like I have to be happy every moment. If you're happy every moment, your face hurts. Right? You know, we've all had those moments. You're happy so long, your face hurts. So it's really, creativity is a beautiful state. Discipline's a beautiful state. Love's a beautiful state. Gratitude's a beautiful state. Courage is a beautiful state. They're high energy states. So when you're in a high energy state, you do the right thing. And he said, I said, I'm with you. He goes, what if we call the low energy states suffering? I didn't like that shit. I started thinking, oh, I think I know where he's going, right? I, I, I'm an achiever. I don't, I'm not even fearful, I just get stressed, right? I was tease achievers, I said the, stress is the achiever word for fear. Because when you tell me you're stressed about it, I can take it down to what you're really afraid of, if I just follow the, the plan. So I realize as he's saying it, I don't like this feeling, you know, the suffering, that I don't suffer. If you asked me two and a half years ago, do you suffer? I would have said bullshit, I wouldn't have been inauthentic. Russell, I would have been honest. I have the most incredible wife, I have four kids, I got three grandkids and another one on the way. I'm, I have a mission I love. I've got strong physical health that I've rebuilt back into my body in spite of challenges, so I appreciate it even more. All this is going on. How can I possibly suffer? I don't suffer. I have 33 companies. You know, we do six billion in business and all these different industries. I'm stimulated, it's amazing. But I realized I did feel pissed off, frustrated, overwhelmed and stressed. I wasn't hiding that. But to me, that was part of life. I mean, they are doing all this stuff, that's just part of life. And as I listened to him, he said, what if any low energy state is a suffering state? Well, if that's true, then I'm a fucking sufferer. I didn't like that very much. It wasn't consistent with my identity that I hold for myself, but it was true. So what did I do? I was like, life's too short to suffer. And he said, I'll tell you my spiritual vision. I said, what is it? Because he never shared this with me before. He goes, I have a new spiritual vision. He said, it's to live in a beautiful state every day, no matter what. I said, dude, I'm stealing your vision. <laughs> I said, that's, that's articulates even better what I've really been talking about. It's broader, it's stronger. But I said, I've allowed myself to suffer because I figured it just comes with the territory and not because I don't call it suffering. But if I really look at it, all those states don't serve anyone. When I'm pissed off or frustrated or overwhelmed, even if I don't have that get out to somebody else, it still gets in me and that affects someone else. Because I'm gonna touch somebody else in that state, whether I want to or not. And so I made a deal with myself and it's really simple and it's a game. I declared my spiritual vision is I'm going to live in this beautiful state no matter what, even when it rains on my parade, even when people are unjust, even when it's unfair. And I know I still got a 2 million year old brain, just like you and all of us do. And that brain's always looking for what's wrong. So it can either protect you by running from it, or I'm a more aggressive guy running at it, or freezing. Those are your only choices in the nervous system when that tumultural brain takes over. And we don't have a saber tooth tiger to run from anymore. So now people have that same reaction of survival to what are people thinking of me, or do I have enough money, or whatever. And so the mind is still running that way unless you get out of it, out of that survival part of yourself, the survival mechanism, and into your true spirit or soul. And so I realized in those situations, I could I could lose it in a second, but I made it okay because look, I'm such a great guy and do all these other great things. And also I'm not hurting anybody. But as I told you when we were talking, all I needed was this to get myself screwed up. Because all I do is look down. Oh, that's great. Oh, you know, why do people look at this 86 times a day? That's the average throughout North America and Europe and Asia, I believe now is the latest number. They've averaged them. It's insane. It's because it's a dopamine hit. Oh, it's great. Oh, it's right. Well, with 1,200 employees on three continents, all these different companies, what are the chances of someone screwing up right now? 100% if screw-ups definition is doing something I don't think is right. And I'd lose all my happiness. My happiness is cheap. All I needed was that. I could lose my happiness. And I said, no. Life's too short. So here's the deal. I'm still going to find suffering, just like you will, because we still have 2 million old brains. But when it happens, I got a 90-second rule. I got 90 seconds to figure it out and get the hell out of this bullshit because life's too short to go there. Because if I live in a beautiful state, how will I treat my kids? How will I treat my friends? How will I treat my clients? How will I treat myself? What will my health be like? The victories of that matter are so much more than allowing yourself to drop into it. Now, don't get me wrong. I still get hooked. I still, still feel the hurt, still feel the pain. But then all of a sudden, I remember, what's that really about? And I realize all that pain is you and I as human beings have this unique quality, different than any other creature. We can make ourselves angry with just a thought. Make yourself depressed with a thought. We can take another thought and make ourselves feel grateful. Another thought, and make ourselves feel excited. We have that capacity. So, if I asked you, can I ask you? Yes. What's one or two of the most stressful thoughts that you consistently feel in your life today? Because you've overcome so many, but we all have them. I have them too. So, what's the most, what's one of the most stressful thoughts that you consistently felt? Not once a year, but that it happens a bit for you. And when, when you believe it, when you focus on it, it gets you. Well, you don't, you're out of it. I've got
0: It got too easily. The one very specific one is I've got an ongoing legal problem with former management okay. that okay. I believe is unjust and that yeah. I want to, like, I want to sort of rip it up, yes. you know? And it'll so, bring out
1: the animal in you. It'll bring out the survival mechanism in you at times. Is that fair? Yes. Yes. So when that happens, what do you feel? When you think that thought and believe it? I feel afraid. Okay, and then when you, what, how do you deal with your fear? What comes next after fear for you?
0: I try to surrender it, get advice, recognize that this is not something I can control in this moment, that there's different perspectives, that my higher power has a plan for me, that I will learn things from this, that everything I have in my life was given to me, and if I lost all of it, then that would be God's will too, and it never belonged to me in the first
1: place. Now, you, it took you how long to come to that level of a model of the world where you could come up with positive meaning out of something that used to make you crazy?
0: It has to keep happening.
1: Now I want your one. <laughs> your one and might be more effective. My, my same thing. My whole thesis would show up in a variety of ways, but it's like anything that will be an obstacle. Not your to be problem. Making your technique. Difference. Your technique. Oh my technique! My technique is, if I was in a room with you right now with ten thousand people, this is what I do normally. I'm not doing it with you, but I'll say, ever you write down your two most stressful thoughts that are most consistent. And people at home, hopefully, will do this. What if you ever think what's a thought that when I think about it and I believe it, it stresses me out that I get a lot, not once a year and not once a month, but a lot. And then once I get it, once I know what those people are, I'm prepared for it now, and now how do I deal with it? The way I deal with it is, I ask the audience, like, I was just here in London, and we just had 13,000 people. And one of the people I said, well, you know, what's the most stressful thought? She's called the she goes, I guess it's just that, you know, will I ever, ever be able to succeed at the level that I, I really want to in my life, and my business? And then another person says, will I ever really have love? Will it ever last? I never seem to find the right relationship. So I asked, how many people here have a business? You know, most of my rooms have business owners. About 90% are business owners, right? So I said, how many of you have the thought, oh my God, what if it doesn't work? Everybody in the room, right? How many of you have thought of, will I ever have love? Will it ever last? Will I lose? Everybody in the room, right? So what I try to show them is this. If I told you, you know, 100 years ago, we're going to the moon and back, you would have called me a lunatic. That's where the term comes from. Now, no one calls anybody a lunatic anymore because I've been the fucking moon multiple times, right? On the other hand, if I would have said to you, oh, there's going to be a little box in your pocket and you're going to be able to push the buttons and see someone on the other side of the earth and talk to them because there's invisible waves going around the planet and they're going to come into your box and you're going to see them, you're like, get the hell out of here, right? Thoughts are invisible ways. The thought that you're not enough is not your thought. The thought that love may not last is not your thought. The thought that you're not gonna succeed at a level is not your thought. Do you really think you're the first person to have that thought? It's been around for thousands of years. And when you put your body in certain states, you're gonna channel a different thought vibration, just like changing the channel on your TV. If I turn, if I got cable and I turn certain channels, it's all. Quiet, sorry, we're learning. (laughs) And push, we, we go to watch one channel; it's all horror. Watch another; one, it's all comedy. Watch another; one, it's all romance. So the tool that I use most with athletes, entrepreneurs, business people, myself, my family—is changing our physiology. Fancy word for the way you use your body. If someone's depressed, they're going to use their body very differently. They're going to talk at a different tempo. They're going to speak at a different tempo. You don't
0: even look going to right do
1: doing this that. Piece like this. <laughs> But if you take that same person and I change the shoulders, change the breath, change the tempo of their voice, as simplistic and stupid as that sounds, it completely changes biochemistry. It's not a pump up. Now, I've taught this for 39 years, 40 years. About 3 years ago Harvard did a study called power postures. I don't know if you saw it, but they did this whole study on how if you will stand with your hands on your hips like Wonder Woman or Superman, or you know the guy who's in, in the meeting like this leaning back, either one of those, it will increase your testosterone by 22% in two minutes, and they've measured it biochemically on anyone, man or woman. It reduces cortisol which is the stress hormone by about 20% and you're 33% more likely to take a risky action or something you wouldn't have done before that you need to do. So I don't just have people stand on their hands and hips, I move them, use their voice, use their body. I show them how to animate the nervous system like you do naturally as part of who you are so that they can push through the things that have stopped them in the past. So this process that I've kind of developed, it started with me. I had to figure out how to get on my own pain. I had to figure out how not to hate my mom, love my mom, protect my brother and sister, figure it out. Then I wanted, I want I hate to see anybody else in pain. So what could I do? How can I help? And so I read books. I didn't have any mentors, you know, at that stage. I didn't have access. Nobody in my family was of that caliber. So I read books. And I took a speed reading course. And I said, I'm going to do a book a day. And I didn't do that. But I read about 700 books in seven years in human development, psychology, physiology. And after a while, a lot of things sound like the same thing. And I kind of got jaded. But then I was like, no, no, no. You don't know it if you're not living it. You understand it but you don't know it. And so I developed a pattern of saying, if I want to master something, I got to first understand it cognitively, then I got to do it so often with so much emotion that I'll be driven to fall through. I'll condition this mind to do it. And then I need to get it in my body so much I don't have to think about it. So I, you know, there are things you do as a comedian, I'm sure, that are easy for you, they're automatic for you, because you've wired yourself that way. It's called myelin. There's a great book you might enjoy. You might enjoy talking to the author. It's called The Talent Code. And it's about like Serena you know, and her sister are both people that have trained their nervous systems to perform at a certain level. There's a group in Russia, I forget the number, but I think it's like in a small town, they have like 27 gold medalists or some ridiculous number. I'm making the number up. But it's because they do these practices that build myelin. Myelin is like the white matter in your brain. The more you do something, whether it's good or bad, you get wired to do it. That whether it's addiction or whether it's something positive, it doesn't matter. You wire yourself. The more you do it, the more emotion you do it, the faster it goes. So you can take somebody's finger and bend it like this 10,000 times. They do this monkeys at University of California, Irvine. And in sport, this is what they do. They tape down four fingers and they go like this 10,000 times. Then they untape the fingers and what does the monkey do? Right? So what? I'm not a monkey. What's your point? Most people drive to work the same way. They get on the same train, the same thing. One day, they've got to go a different direction. Their brain's out to lunch. They're on the phone. They get on the same off ramp. They're a monkey. They're following their conditioning. So what I learned to do is take that, break the negative conditioning and create a positive condition with myself and then do that with myself enough that I could do it for other people. And that's our group. Fucking hell, that's some good
0: gear there, isn't it? <laughs> I like the, fuck, fucking hell, that's brilliant. Now, when where we get to here is, like Tony, is that we're starting to select what is positive and what is negative. Now, given that you've had this degree of success, you've built these companies, you have this power to exert your will. I know you do a great deal of philanthropic work, but we've talked previously about in your podcast, which we've just done, which is either valuable in the future or the past or both, depending on how you (laughs) regard time. See how you just described that thing with the the conditioning of the monkey's finger and the conditioning of consciousness, that this is taking place on a huge scale, huge systems that have taken place. I'm not suggesting that there's sort of a a shady cabal of manipulative folk that are governing the world in order to achieve certain ends. It's sort of irrelevant in a way, but don't you think that beyond uh, the individual growth that we can grant to people, systemic change is an, an important component. I would think, the, the, the seed of this thought was in me, is that like I've met some of them holy folk in India also. Yes. Uh, and I feel like, sort of, if you had grown up, instead of in a Western culture, if you'd have grown up in India, that guru you, guruhood would have been where you would have wound up, right? You'd be a person telling people, because like, I heard a different relig- uh, definition of religion, uh, religio, like that it means uh, connection like uh, and that yeah the same as yoga and yoke yes. mean connection yes so, and like you know what watching... well, people
1: tend to people tend to connect most either in pain or in celebration right right, right. and so i just prefer celebration if we can pull it off right? <laughs> why would you <laughs> not make that love, right why not yes 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 and yes the whole beautiful state piece i don't want to interrupt but i want to plant the seed is if i can recognize the thing that makes me me systemically going to a terrible place. What's the system in me? What's the set of beliefs? What's the triggers in me? If I can figure what that is, catch it, and then break it, see it for what it is. It's just a thought, it's not even my thought, it's been around a thousand years, and then I can shift from that. Here's my solution, because I didn't give it to you. I shift from that, from my expectations aren't met, which is what upsets people, to appreciation. I tell people, I got on a plane to fly to, to I wanna I I hear the end of your thought here, but I wanna make sure I gave you the full answer because I'm realizing, I got on a plane to go all over the world, but I go to, from the east coast of the United States to Australia, and it's 20 hours. And I noticed I was getting really stressed whenever I got on this flight, like, disproportionately stressed. And I'm like, what's wrong with me? It's like, I'm not using my hands, my arms to fly. I'm, you know, I'm first class, I got a bed half my size, but I can squeeze in here, I, I can't complain. But what it was, was I'm cut off from all the work of, oh my God, when I get there, there'll be 20 more hours of text, 20 more hours of emails, 20 and I haven't done the ones here, I could have solved all that. All this bullshit stress. And then one day I get on the plane, on Qantas Airlines, I'll never forget this, and the guy comes on, he goes, ladies and gentlemen, I've been to LA, and the last leg is LA to Sydney, right, 14 hours. he goes. 14 hours Sydney today, I'm your captain, it's gonna be a beautiful sunny day, it's gonna be a beautiful flight, and I'm very proud to tell you that tonight, for the first time, we have international internet. It was like God Almighty entered the plane. People stood up and started cheering, clapping. <laughs> I want to stand up, I just don't even know I was there, so I'm clapping in the corner on my own, right? And for nine minutes, it worked perfectly. What did it happen after nine minutes? It went down, when did it go up again? Never, it still doesn't to <laughs> work, right? And, and so what happened is, I looked around and saw Nine minutes ago, this was a miracle. Now it's already an expectation. If you and I want joy, we got to trade our expectations for appreciation. So it's hard to go from disappointed, pissed off, frustrated to joyous. But you can go from anything to appreciation. There's something to appreciate. So my new game in my life. How do I find ecstasy in this moment right now with whoever I'm with, whatever I'm doing? How do I find that joy that is naturally there? And the way to do it is not so much about getting something or doing something. It's more letting go of all the shit that you've been programmed to believe. And so the way I do it is I go, okay, that's a preference I have. It's not life and death. It was my preference that this happened. But this is what occurred, and let me appreciate what's occurred. And, there's, and once I appreciate, I can move to an enjoyment. And from enjoyment, I can go to pure joy. But I gotta make that transition. But it's a habit. It's a discipline. It's like building a muscle. And so, in the beginning, my 90-second rule should have been the 90-hour rule, you know what I mean, on certain things. And even to this day, there's certain things that aren't 90 seconds, I get hooked. Takes me an hour, hour and a half, two hours, but it's not 90 days, it's not 90 hours anymore, and it's not because I'm so good, it's just because I practice the discipline to build a muscle. Like any skill set, a person makes.
0: So, you know, like what you're describing, you know, like you convey it and articulate it and tell it so beautifully, and with, as you say, embodiment but many of these principles, and I suppose that's why you wanted to interview me about my book, are spiritual traditions. Yes. These are letting go. So all of that you have personally discovered and learned to embody. Because yes. like when you're talking about that ain't that long ago that you're pissed off about the, well, oh, no, I won't be able to do my ticket. That's the sort of thing that, I'd, that reassures me because that's the sort of thing I'd be yes. worried about. So yes. it just seems like that you are experiencing the same range of emotions that sure. we're all experiencing, but you've programmed yourself to operate primarily in the preferred band. Now like that, I'm
1: starting to understand think of that. that you get what you tolerate, and most of us think about about other people, but I think about those myself. Well, right, I'm not. Tolerating I'm not going to tolerate that. There's shit. It's
0: a bit over. drill sergeant, Marseille. When I you do spoke to myself. yourself about the jumping in that cold pond, it's a bit aggressive for someone that didn't get much. <laughs> nutrition when they're a little kid. Like maybe, come on. This is how I talk it's to It's command
1: them. and demand for me. Right, Russell, we're
0: gonna get into the cold. <laughs> now you might not like it, but you're such a good boy. You can have some chocolate after. But I don't want to, I'm not getting in there. All right, you don't have to, go back to bed. Can I have some heroin? Yes, I'll get you some.
1: <laughs> That's why it takes all of us, brother. <laughs> it well, takes all of us. So that is a- That is my nature. No, I'm gonna no, 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 you your one. your one's good. That, no, I want you to know that is my nature. Your nature. My nature is, oh my God, oh, that's my nature. I built muscles so that I could serve. And it's served me too now. Mm. But that's really it. I really built it not to serve others. I built it to try and figure out my own life. But then what kept me going, kept me growing is, it's like I, I met, you remember Norman Vincent Peale? He wrote the original Power of Positive Thinking book. He was a religious uh, uh, man. Yeah. I met him when he was 92 and I was 32. He invited me to come see him up in Canada because my career had started to grow at that point. So I met him. I remember asking him, 92 years old, I said, you know, when he first started, there was no, it was horse and buggy, There's no automobiles, there's no computers, nobody had been to the moon, I mean, you can imagine what happened in his lifetime. And so I was talking about a couple of things. The first thing I said is, why are you still only these seminars at 92? And he looked at me and he goes, well, Tony, there's still a few negative people out there. <laughs> <laughs> I thought to myself, only 60 more years of this shit, right? <laughs> because I'm 32 at the time. But then I asked him, I said, what's the most important lesson you've learned in 92 years of living in this century? Think of all the changes that happened. And what he said to me was, I think I learned the most important thing is the power of problems. I said, what do you mean by that? He said, well, the only people without problems are people in cemeteries. I said, yeah, I think I heard that somewhere. He goes, I thought that in 1939 or something mm-hmm. like that. He said, but they never give the whole quote. I said, my quote was, the only people without problems are in cemeteries, so if you don't have any problems, you better get on your knees and pray for some, because otherwise you're not going to be here very long. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's about getting a better quality problem. Right, My problems are how do I keep myself together and then how do I make this happen or how do I take care of my family or how do I succeed? And then pretty soon it's like, if you can solve those in yourself then you can truly help someone else because you've done it within yourself. Not that you're perfect, but because you faced something and figured it out just like any good mentor would do. So I've tried to find great mentors that have already, like all my mentors are people 18, 20, 21, 20, 22 years older than I am. My dear friends, I coach them, but now I learn from them. I looked to them for mentorhood because They've lived life that I have not seen yet. And not everybody's life the same, but the racetrack of life has some common patterns. Like we're all going to face death, we're all going to lose friends and family, we're all going to face our own immortality, we're all going to face not being enough at times. And if I can learn from somebody else, I can, instead of just my own experience, I can compress decades into days. That's my obsession. That's why I came to see you because I feel and I know, having been with you now, you're the real fucking thing. Not the real thing like you're perfect. I'm not fucking perfect. Nobody is. What the fuck is perfect anyway? It's not real. But you're real and you're raw and you care and you want to serve and you're working every day to be a bit better. What the fuck is greater than that? And you have a voice I don't have and you're more poetic than I am. I love the way you write. I love the way you speak. So, wow, I don't have to be the solution to everything. I can go find other beautiful souls, find some way hopefully to add value to them, if nothing else, to help them with their mission because I have the privilege of the stage of having a fairly large audience that I can reach out to. Hmm, that's fucking good news.
0: Now, the other (laughs) thing is, don't you think that uh, if you have this uh, ability and this capacity to effect such change, to teach such uh, troubling spiritual uh, lessons that have real difficulty getting traction in a world that is about materialism and individualism, that there is a broader obligation to convey the essence of these ideas. Like, that if you, through your own journey, began to discover the veracity and truth of these timeless, honoured, Vedic principles, that Like, you know, we we know where this takes us. Where this takes us is we must develop systems, sovereignty,
1: uh, change based on that. So so I give you the way I look at it, and they might be right But the way I look at it. If you go to the East, everything is about... The individual disappears and we go into nirvana and not coming back, as you well know, right? You know, it's like, me let me do it right this time and different rules. I use my body a certain way. I give up everything a certain way. They all have different views of it, but it's how do I get to the ultimate nirvana? I don't come back. That's really the essence of that. And material doesn't matter. I go to there and I see the beauty of a man standing on a corner with nothing but a loincloth and a giant smile on his face, euphoric. You know, I'm sure you've been to Varanasi. Have you been to Varanasi? I ain't. Oh, you have to go to Varanasi. Right. It's one of the oldest cities in the world, like 37, 3500 years old. You know that The belief in that religion, no matter what sect you're in, they all have different beliefs. Do I give up everything and become a pauper? Do I do physical yoga? Do I do it by intellectual development? But they all agree on one thing. If you die in Varanasi, you don't come back. So if someone's dying, they all go there. And they burn this wood. They burn the bodies every day. The wood is as tall as two or three stories of the building. The fire's been going on for 3,500 years. And the people come out and watch them. They burn, they put the body in the water, and then they put their loved one on there. And no one cries. There's no tears, because their view is the body is the t-shirt, and when it burns away, the soul is there. And so it's a completely different way of looking at life. But the point is, in that world, everything is about give it all up, and I see the beauty of it. I also see the poverty, the fucking pain, the suffering while they're alive for some day in the future. It makes me crazy. But I remember we went to see Mother Teresa's center there to help some of the people that were there that were healing up. And there was a woman there was, I don't know how old she was, she looked like she was 102. I think she was like 98 or 99 something. She was a really old lady, shrunk down small, just beautiful soul in her eyes, but racked with pain. And I'm talking to her through a translator and she's telling me how pissed off she is because they saved her. She came there to die. They prevented her going to Nirvana, right? Very different. Now I come to America and what do I see? I see the beauty of people having choices, freedoms, abundance, components are there, but I see the weakness in that the inner world is often weak, not for everybody. But for a lot of people, because the culture makes you externalized. So my view is, there are two halves of a whole. It isn't the East or the West. They both had advantages and disadvantages. How do I bring them both together? And I do share those philosophies, not just verbally, like I'm teaching you, but I take people there. Because my whole belief is, a belief is a poor substitute for an experience. I can tell you shit all day long, and it's just my belief. But if I go there, I have a direct experience and I can know what that really is like. So I try to give people experiences rather than just the verbalization wherever possible. But also, I train, what I told you earlier, I'm a Trojan horse. So you come to me for what you want, I'll help you deliver what you want because I spent a lifetime figuring the strategies to grow your business 100% in 12 to 18 months. And I know what to do to help you turn your relationship around because I've been obsessed for a lifetime. i got so many tools. Just which one do you want? There's many ways to do it but all said and done, none of that is gonna make you feel a meaningful life. What's gonna give you a meaningful life is if you find a way to keep growing and find a way to contribute beyond yourself. If you can find something you care about more than yourself, whether it's your kid, in your case very clearly, or your wife, or your community, or whatever the case may be. So once I deliver those goods, people are open, they're willing to hear me, and now I can deliver the things that I believe matter most, and give people an opportunity to see or experience those. And then I get them involved in contribution because I don't think there's anything that changes you more than to get outside yourself. And when I mean involved, I don't mean just put the money out. I mean, I was fed when I was 11 years old. We had no money and no food. And it changed my life. It changed my life not because of the food. It changed my belief that strangers care. And if strangers care about my family, and it changed my life, Then I gotta care about strangers. So when I turned 17, I've had two families, then four, then eight. I eventually got to a million people each year. Then I got to two million through my foundation. And I matched at four million. Then five years ago, I'm writing a book on finance. Why? Because people aren't really, really very spiritual in Western world when they can't pay their rent. They start yelling and fighting and all those things. It's not the whole piece, but it's something people have to, it's one of the areas of life that should be mastered, not it's wrong, it's all of God. Why is, why is finance or business or your family, all of them are intersected. To set them apart is bullshit in my experience. And so I want to help people in these areas. But while I'm interviewing 50 of the richest people on the face of the earth, all not from the Lucky Sperm Club, they all built it from scratch, right? I'm watching Congress in my country pass new laws that basically cut food stamps. They call it the SNAP exercise. It's what we do in our country to support people that really need the support. They cut it by, I think it was $7.5 billion. It's the equivalent of every family in America that needs help having to give up one week's worth of meal for them and their family every month, unless the private sector jumped in. So I called my team and I said, this is insane. I mean, these billionaires, and I'm watching these people suffering. You know, what? how many people have I fed total? And they looked up, oh, it was 42 million people. I said, that's incredible. What if I fed that many in a year? And I got more excited about that than any goal I'd ever have. And I was like, let's make it 50 million. And I said, let's make it 100 million. So for the last three years, I fed 300 million people. And I'm feeding another 100 million. It should be 400 million. I'm going to feed a billion people this time. I've been more excited about that shit than anything else. But also, I do matching funds, so all the people that I communicate with and help, I encourage them to come join me here. I do the same thing with Underground Railroad. You know, there are more people in slavery today in the world than any time in history because the world's bigger and we still have a percentage of that that's like that. And it's one of the most horrific crimes that could be. So I joined with Underground Railroad. I found out about these guys: former CIA, FBI, Seal Team Six guys. Who go into different countries and figure out how to catch these guys and teach the local police. So they don't just catch them, but teach them to fish, right? Not just give them the fish. And I went undercover. I looked something like you, actually, but only with a huge scar. So I didn't want to blow back on my family, and I was part of the biggest bus in the history of one particular country, five days living in it. So I don't just tell people, here's how to be fucking successful. What I show people is this is how to have a meaningful life. So that includes being successful, whatever that definition for you, that might be having three beautiful children. That might be building a business. That might be writing beautiful poetry. It's life on your terms. That's what I think success is. What are your terms? But your terms better include something beyond yourself or you won't be fulfilled.
0: That's brilliant. That's brilliant. Good download. But uh, it would be disingenuous of me if I didn't, like, when, when I'm in front of you, I think, I fucking, like, I don't think, yeah, but I just want to be really, like, Christ-like and help everyone. No, I think, fucking hell, I want to learn all them things to make sure the business is really successful and make a really successful business, and what should I do? And tell me, just tell me what to do. <laughs> that's what I'm basically, that's what I want to, that's what I would distill my question down to. Tell me what to do. But, but then the other side, which is a bit more esoteric and a little bit more political, is that I think with the energy and change that you have generated in helping people whose suffering is as a consequence of the, systems that we are perfectly ensconced by in the financial district like on the way here i go going past KPMG and I think they even do my accountancy and I'm going past Citibank here and all these things all these great citadels these towers of Babel and Joseph Campbell said like if you want to know where the power is he goes you know just look at the biggest buildings that's where the power actually is and it makes me I feel I would disagree with
1: that And maybe it sounds corny, but I believe the ultimate power is in the human spirit. I don't give a shit what's happening. Institutions will be taken down by people who, if the institutions are not serving. Are you not a
0: little bit excited about the possibility of engaging and directing the energy that could bring down those institutions? Recently I had this experience, I'll tell you it because uh, you'll be a good person to get a handle on it. I went to a billionaire's island, and when I was there I felt very not cool about the fact that I'd done it, right? Mm -hmm. And I ended up, it went bad, because I ended up saying, I had said this sentence, it was a mistake. I goes, I ain't going to spend no more time talking to rich people about how you should help poor people. I'm going to be talking to poor people about how they can change this situation. Yep. It created a bad atmosphere and had to leave early. But, <laughs> 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 but, but, uh, but like, you know, no, that's I'm, your honest passion. And I'm conflicted as well because I want power, I want respect, I want control, I want to be recognized as an influential voice, I want people to look to me as an example. But I am fascinated by the idea that with with this energy that you are personally generating, how can you help us,
1: teach us to alter the systems that are creating those problems? I just, I just spent seven years of my life, six and a half years of my life, uh, specifically in that area the financial area because I was so angry about the abuse I've seen happen in my country and around the world, but in my country especially in my country for example uh, When people try to retire they have something called a 401k that most people have They even they don't have real estate more people Have a 401k that's the way they're going to retire because we don't take care of people with that social net in America like we did years ago there aren't pensions and They didn't have to tell you what they were charging you up until three years ago for 30 years. It's a multi-trillion dollar business. And what people don't realize is 1% more than you should pay is gonna eat up 10 years of your retirement income. Just 1% because of compounding. So I wrote a book that was scathing towards that industry, but I didn't just scathe them, because you know that whole thing, if I attack, you're just gonna attack back, right? I told the truth about the abuses, because I've been in that system. I've managed uh co- coach a man named Paul Tudor Jones for 23 years. and. He's not lost money in 23 years, one of the 10 most successful investors in the history of the world. And I interviewed Ray Dalio, if you know those names, and Carl Icahn, and and Warren Buffett, all these people. But what I found, what I also find is those same systems, it's so easy just to attack them, but those same systems have created a different quality of life. If there weren't mortgages, most of the people out here wouldn't have the quality of life that they have, because someone's going to loan them money in advance based on trust, based on track records, so they can have a better quality of life today not have to wait 20 years. So you can argue about credit and so forth, but there's benefits in everything. So what I try to do is not throw the baby out with the bathwater. It's so easy to attack anything. And today, attack seems to be the way people go. I'm a victim, and I'm going to attack you. Life is not black and white. It's gray. It's colored. It's purple. It's every color you can imagine. So when I look at those buildings, I don't have the same reaction you do, honestly. I look at those buildings, and I say, Okay, what goods be done? And what part can I do in educating people so they can make better choices of how to use that or not? And what I've tried to do in my books and my tapes and all is do that. And I have unbelievable number of people come and thank me and say, oh my God, I had no idea and I changed it. I'm not taking advantage of it anymore. I'm using the system, the system's not using me. That's my goal. Because I can't change the whole system. Can't you? But I can Why? Change. Why, I can change parts right. of it. I can change because parts of it. it's the same
0: way individuals return There's to... only so many hours,
1: right, in a day. But I can, cha- I can pick places where I can play a role And I don't have this delusion like you're talking, I'm gonna help everybody, tell everybody. I'm still fucking learning, right? It's not just I have all the answers, but I am hungry And I look for those places where I can play a role and then show people how they can make better choices for themselves because that's just what you just said where's where the real power is. It's individual choice. Those guys only exist because people choose to use them. If they're abusive, let's use something else. And I agree because I'm not into sort of a
0: binary judgment of everything in the financial industry. But what I feel is, is the way that individuals have habits and patterns and tendencies that they revert to, bigger systems after a while, wouldn't they? They're made up of the consciousness of individuals. Entropy
1: happens in everything. You build it and it starts to break down and big organizations do that all the time and then we all have consequences from that. And we're at, clearly at this transitional moment
0: politically. There's so much shifting and altering and I'm beginning to wonder what what is required. And it seems to me that the important thing is that people have power in their own lives. People have the ability to alter their own lives. And I feel that the way that our political institutions, the way that our nations are set up prevents people from having power. Now, I know these do seem like big changes and I know, like you say, there's only so many hours in a day. But if the goal is to somehow manifest the principles that you exemplify better than anybody else in the world, I don't know uh, like uh, into <laughs> yeah. into systemic change. I wonder what that would look like. I wonder what that to would feel like. To me, what that looks like. like,
1: Understand what it looks like to me and what it feels like to me, and, and I don't know if we're on the same page on it, but for me, it's helping those individuals in the area of life that matter most. To me, those areas your body, because if you don't take care of that on this planet, you're not around, your emotions, your meaning, your relationships. To me, if you're not happy in your relationship, you're not gonna be happy your finances, your time, and the spirit of your life. You know, is your life about contribution or not? So I look at these six or seven areas and say, if I can help people learn where there are challenges, where we can take advantage of, where they can take back charge, then they get to pick where they want to go. I don't have the delusion that I'm Tony Robbins and I'm gonna change the whole world. What I believe is I'm just a guy that loves people, and wherever I can, I'm gonna make a difference and I'm gonna see it because I've spent 41 years in the areas of body, mind, emotion, relationship. I have a diverse group that I can usually be helpful to somebody.
0: When you've met all those people, like high-powered people, Bill Clinton, etc., and seen like the fallibility that, as we all know, human beings have, have you not ever thought, well, perhaps I should be in a position of political power?
1: I have. I, I, when I was a little kid, um, I always had dreams of having an impact. I thought, well, maybe I'll be in the military and I'll save lives or I'll be a fireman or I'll be President of the United States, you know, a little kid. And even when I was 17, that was my goal. And I kind of laid it out. I'm gonna, I'm gonna spend you know, 10 years of my life, this is what I decided when I was actually 16. I said, I'm gonna spend my 20s figuring out how to help anyone change their life and I'm going to learn every tool possible. And if they're committed, I'm committed. We should be able to do it. In my 30s, I should be able to do that with a group of people simultaneously so I can reach more. In my 40s, I want to do it with big groups of people. In my 50s, I want to do it in companies. And in my 60s, then maybe I'll do that in a political world because I'll have lived my whole life. And people don't have to wonder who the hell I am. They can see who I am. But having served four different presidents, I can tell you that I have no interest in that process because the system, unless the system changes, the system is so driven by money and so driven by those pieces. And, and also our country is and my country is so divided now, so extreme. It used to be guys would fight like crazy in Congress and then they'd go have a beer together. Today, if you talk to the aside, you're evil. And we're seeing that all over the world. This 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 diet and what I find is if you look at the Cold War, the Cold War ended, I had a chance to meet Mr. Gorbachev and I took him on a flight when you ride one place to see. President Bush Sr. and uh, Meteoron and Maggie Thatcher, and I got invited as one of 100 people to go to the session. So I pick him up, and I want to know what ended the Cold War, because I'm, I'm into history. I want to know what are those moments. Everybody talks about history, but it's history happens in moments, just like you and I own personal lives. There's moments in our life changes. So in advance, I said, President Bush Sr. called me and said, where are you gonna be before the conference? I told him, he goes, well, Mr. Gorbachev's in New York. Do you think you would give him a ride because he's no longer head of his country and he doesn't have a plane? I'm like. Let me think about this for 0.001 seconds. Of course, right? The guy helped end the Cold War. So I get on the plane, and I have a group of kids that uh, Princess Diana came helped me with, and a lot of the people over the over the time I sponsored their college educations. I started with them in grade school, so they've been with me for years, and so. Sure enough, I, want, I asked in advance, I said, can I film a message from you to my, to my kids, my champions? I called them my champions. And I said, they're all working hard, they are come from underprivileged backgrounds, and I'm taking care of their college educations, but they have to give me something. What they have to give me is 20 hours of community service, even though they're kids that supposedly are underprivileged. Because I didn't want them just to get college. I don't have college. What I wanted in them was a new identity. I wanted the identity that I'm a person that gives. I'm not just a person that has to get. And I lost. Probably the first year I lost like 30% of the kids because their parents said they shouldn't have to give. So blew my <laughs> mind. Him. Blew my mind. But anyway, I get Gorbachev and I'm going to film this, all things all said, He's agreed to it. The limos show up and everything else. I'll never forget this. And he comes up and I said, I want to do the interview and he's gone through a translator and translator, oh no, no, he has a massive headache, he can't do it, and he just gets on my plane. And I chartered a big plane in those days. I had a tiny plane I chartered. I chartered this Gulfstream, which in those days was way beyond my economics, but I want to take care of him and he had a staff. So, I get on the plane and I'm pissed. <laughs> I was like, wait a second, I promise, the guy promised to do this. He needs three minutes. He can say something to these poor kids. These kids, To hear Gorbachev talking to them? They'll tell everybody for the rest of their life, it'll change their identity. Right? <laughs> so, that, so, then instead of being pissed, I went, okay, I just need to be strategic. How do I get this guy to talk? And he closes his eyes and not going to talk to me. And I'm on the plane, I spend time energy. So I look at his wife and I start talking. To her and I start talking to her and I thought, I know this. If I get her to say something he disagrees with, he'll pop open and he'll interrupt <laughs> her. right? And sure enough, I was asking about how he's perceived in now Russia it used to be the Soviet Union and then she starts talking. All of a sudden he comes. Boom, boom, boom. So anyway, the end of the story. Fun part. And the reason i tell you the story is this. He says he comes to me and I said, and I got him talking. So I said, I really want to just answer one question. The whole reason I wanted to be on this plane with you. What ended the Cold War? And then he went. He paused for a moment and then he started talking and you could see when someone, you know, you and I know you've talked about something before and you're talking the same way. We all have that rhythm inside but I could see he wasn't really connected to me. What I was telling him, he was just rotely saying this thing. He wasn't trying to give me an answer. So when he's done, I said, you know, you got three more hours in day. I said, that shit's not gonna fly. I said, and I got him to laugh. And once I got to laugh, I said, I wanna know the moment. What was the moment it ended? And he said something I'll never forget. He paused for a moment. He goes, no one's ever asked me that question. And then he stopped, and you could see him really think. And then he starts smacking his thing like this, and smiling and giggling, like a completely different state. And, and he understands a lot of English, more than he lets on. But interpreter, so I knew he understood something. But the interpreter now is telling me, and he says, he starts talking, and he says, I'll tell you the moment. And he's laughing, he goes, I was with President Reagan, and he said, you know, he had called us the evil empire. And he said, and he was lecturing me on the evils of communism. And he said, I was coming right back at him with the evils of capitalism. And he said, we were going back and forth. He said, I was getting more and more and more angry. He said, I could just feel my face on fire, you know? And he said, and all of a sudden, he said, Reagan stood up and he took three steps away from him. And he's like, look around. And he turned back around and goes, hi, my name's Ron, can I call you Mikhail?" (laughs) And he started laughing, he goes, you had to love the guy. And then I guess Reagan, Um, knew that Gorbachev loved children and for the first time brought American children over there and put them in his care. And it completely changed their relationship. He said, this is a man I can do business with. He said what ended it was the end of demonization. That's what ended the worst pain that nobody remembers anymore that you and I grew up with, at least I grew up with, which is the Cold War, being blown off the planet, blown up the whole planet. Now we have terrorism, new challenges and so forth. But today we have the same, we just have a new set of demons to each other. When I was with President Clinton that first time, the demons, he talked about how people are being unfair with him because we always had an external enemy. He was the first president in a long time where there wasn't an external enemy. When there's an external enemy, people align. When there's no external enemy, they start to divide within themselves. So part of what I hope to do on a very small scale, at least with the people I get to meet, is do my best to end the demonization. Because today, there is no, it's black or white. It's good or bad. It's evil or it's, you know, it's wonderful. And life isn't that way. So one of the reasons I want to come to you is because you're, to me, a reflection of that. You have this great comedic sense. You're poetic. I'm not just blowing smoke. You know who you are. You've been through fucking hell, and yet you still have this consciousness that you want to keep growing to be a better and better man. And you're trying to help people. Holy fuck! Unfortunately, that's unique. So I want to put the spotlight anywhere I can on that because I can't do it by myself. We can do it. I can't do it. I'm not some superhuman guy that does it. I have some skill sets. You have some skill sets. We have some skill sets. We together can change the world. Nobody's going to do it by himself.
0: Yes, Tony Robbins. <laughs> We're going directly from this room to acquire weapons <laughs> and bring down the <laughs> governments of the Western democracies by any means
1: necessary. <laughs> That's exactly what I said. Thank you for the interpretation. I'm so glad you understood completely. Finally, got an
0: opportunity to talk without an aggressive edit. <laughs> Luckily, this is your footage. <laughs> well, That's brilliant. Thanks, Tony Robbins. Tony, we've got to remember we agreed to. Oh, I've got my tiny toothbrush there. Yes. For a standard Tony Robbins. Um, remember we've got to, uh, I've learned a lot well, you don't need to promote
1: this anybody listening if they want to find out more they can go to TonyRobbins.com go to Tony I'm not here to promote I really came here today so you and I could have this conversation it started with me asking for the conversation with you and your listeners that they want to tune in and hear what you had to say with me you're on my podcast and I'm on yours and it's it's been a total joy to be with you and I hope this is the beginning of a very deep friendship
0: Oh, I hope so as well that's what I'm really hoping for Well, then it's done <laughs> <laughs> brilliant thanks Tony Another Robbins thank you, I loved that thanks thank you Well, I hope you enjoyed that. Isn't he amazing? Um, If you want to learn more about Tony, go check out his website and learn more about Unleashing the Power Within. He is the demonstration of the success of his methods. Also, you can listen to the podcast I've done with him. Upcoming guests. We've got some amazing people coming on. Blind Boy out of Rubber Bandits. He's amazing. Radhanath Swami, a personal mentor of mine. The Happy Pair, they're mad Irish vegan chefs. And check out some some of the podcasts already done. Whether it. it's Adam Curtis, Naomi Klein, Yuval Noah Harari, Kehinde Andrews. He's coming back again. Brad Evans. Always check out Brad. He'll be back on again soon. And remember, check out Rebirth on Netflix and do share uh, your Insta stories at True Russell Brand. It's how you'd, night, That's what I'm telling you as a fellow human. And also tweet this stuff with the hashtag under the skin. Hope you've uh, enjoyed it. I enjoy being with you. I enjoy being down your ear roll. See you later. Talk to you soon.